So here's the thing, entrepreneurs, leaders, salespeople, we all want to create consistent, repeatable, and scalable ways to grow our business and our income. And we want to do it better, faster, and more seamlessly. Why? So we can actually enjoy our lives, take vacations, and spend the quality time we want with the people that we love. How do we do all this without spending a fortune or running ourselves ragged? That's the big question, and this show is dedicated to the answer. Hey, so welcome back to the show. I'm really excited about today's guest. Uh, you know I've been obsessed with helping you build a great business, serve more clients, make more money. But what am I also obsessed by? I've been obsessed, if you're paying attention to my content, and I know you are, with you buying more real estate, saving more money, lowering your taxes. So today, I've asked a great friend to come and talk to us about specifically what you can do, whether you're an entrepreneur, a team leader, an individual agent, you're a broker owner, you're a startup company, it's all the same. He is a tax advisor, and most importantly, like myself, he is also an active investor. So I've got Toby Mathis with us from Anderson Advisors. He is a tax attorney, so it's always good to get advice from an attorney. And most importantly, he knows this space really well because we have sent him a lot of clients and they serve a lot of people in the real estate industry because tragically, I'm not saying you watching right now or listening, but tragically, a lot of people have figured out how to make a lot of money, but they're not really paying attention to the key issues of tax savings, tax advantages, you know, why buying real estate, all the things that, you know, we hope that you know, but today we're going to unpack. So Toby, thank you so much, man. I know you're as crazy busy as I am. Thanks so much for joining me today on the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Tom. It's always fun to get to hang out with you. Oh, I appreciate that, man. Are you still in Vegas? Still in Vegas. Yes, I'm uh, yes. hanging out today in the beautiful sunshine. It's, uh, it's, it's a great day here. Outstanding, man. Outstanding. So, so Toby, I want to talk about, I, got, I wrote down one, two, three, four things that I think could be very meaningful for the listener today. So, so I'll, I'll just go through the four and then let's just unpack each one of them. So for my listener, check it out. We want to talk about how should you be lowering your taxes and saving more money just across the board? What do they need to do? Number two, I want to talk about what are the best real estate investors doing now? Because a lot of my clients, Toby, they're, whether they're buying into syndications or they're fixing and flipping properties, you know, they're, they're doing deals for themselves also. So how do they lower their taxes? How do they protect their assets? Let's, let's get into some of that. Number three, I want to talk about, like I can always say this to you, what are the really rich people doing right now? Right. That's my favorite question for all my friends. Like, what are you, you're worth a lot of money. What are you doing that I don't know about? And then the last thing I wrote down is, you know, what are you investing in if you're willing to share? So those four things, can we, can we jam on that? We can jam on that. Absolutely. So let's go, let's go right to the top. Like what, what should my listener be doing to lower their taxes and save more money? Give me, give, and I'm taking notes. So let's go. Well, let's, let's, let's do the big quick step back because there's three types of incomes that are out there. Thank there's you. the there's the 10,000 foot view, there's active income, there's yep. portfolio income, and there's passive income. People always conflate them together. Here's yep. the easiest way to think about that. I don't know if you went to Catholic school, Tom, but I did. And yes. if you misbehaved, you got a little, little whack, yep. right? Maybe, maybe it was an eraser, maybe it was a ruler, but you learned pretty quick that you didn't like the wax. Well, the tax code's no different. The tax code has given you a whack. Every time you make an earned dollar, if you just let it hit you, it's literally going to hit you. Yeah. The number one tax revenue source in the United States, when you actually break it down, you can go look at the IRS data and you can see how our treasury makes money. Number one this last year was just barely income taxes. 
Number two, and sometimes is number one, is employment taxes. And we always forget about old age, death, and survivors, or right. disability and survivors of Medicare. And that absolutely will devastate you if you don't put the brakes on it. And so there's a little bit of a, a, a of an issue I always get where people are saying, "Hey, you know, the poor don't pay their fair share in taxes. They're not paying income taxes." I worked at McDonald's. I was making four dollars and fifteen cents an hour, and I was getting hit with employment tax on every dollar. Yep. If you do not put an end to that, it'll absolutely tear you apart. It's 15.3%. There's a phase out on a portion of it, and then there's an add back on a portion of it. So I don't care who you are. There's a way to minimize that. And just recognizing that that is the whack of the income. Like you're getting, you're getting a hit. And then you look at the other types of income sources. There's portfolio, which is capital gains and dividends. Um, you, you know, you're looking at interest. You're looking at royalties. And it is not subject to, none of those are subject to the, that little whack. None of those are subject to the employment taxes. And then there's the passive income. And the, the one that stands out is real estate. Rental real estate is considered a passive activity. The reason this is important is because it is treated like no other investment activity. If I go and I buy a bunch of Microsoft, a bunch of shares in Microsoft, and I buy $10,000 worth of shares in Microsoft, I get no deduction. Nope. I don't get to write any of that off. I don't get to, hey, you know what, your Microsoft's going to be you know, decreasing value over time. In real estate, I do. In real estate, I can spend $10,000 and probably generate, if I leverage it, I could generate a $10,000 deduction. And people are like, what? Yeah. yeah. They're literally giving you tax-free money if you want to take it. And it's just recognizing it, that that's how our tax code is. And once you once you do... I'll tell you that the wealthiest clients we have, they're always saying, how do I minimize? How do I minimize? How do I minimize? It's not, what do I owe? It's, how do I minimize it? How do I minimize the hit? Yeah. And the easy, for your real estate agents, here's what you do. You do not operate as an individual. You do not operate as a sole proprietor. You operate as an S-corp or an LLC tax as an S-corp, depending on your state, depending on your real estate board. And if your real estate board doesn't recognize it and says, no, you can't, yes, you can. There's a way to do it from a tax standpoint, even if your real estate board says you can't. And that is real simple. There's actually case case law on it, uh, is you make sure that you are letting your broker be aware that even though they're paying you as an individual, you're under the complete control of an S-corp or an LLC tax as an S-corp and you deposit those funds in there. You make sure that they're aware you get an employment agreement with that organization that you set up. It's between yourself and yourself. It's between your S-corp right. and you and you make sure those funds go in there and it will minimize those employment taxes. And if all we did, if all we did is we looked at somebody who's making hundred grand a year and if all we did was get that money from you individually to you as an organization, it's gonna it's gonna cut it's gonna save you nine ten thousand bucks a year. Boom. Immediately. Is there is there any downside of not having the employment tax? We're not we're not talking about like my future retirement at 62, 65, 70, that stuff. So this is a misnomer. The the way that Social Security works is it's front end loaded. So it's just are you participating in the system? And we're not saying do not participate in it. We're saying minimize it. And legally the way to do it, like if you have an S-Corp, is you're going to pay a salary to yourself. You're going to pay employment taxes, but you're going to pay about a third of what you normally would. Right. And that third of what you normally would is going to qualify you for the benefits and pretty much max you out anyway. Right. The rest of it is just a tip. You're just leaving a tip to the government. You're saying, hey, here's some free money. There's no reason for you to do it. And I know there's accountants out there. I know that there's people that have heard this. They're going to say the S-Corp is more difficult. No, it's not. It's the same rules. Books and records 
whether you're a sole proprietor or not. What I can tell you though, is that sole proprietors get audited about 800% more than, a, than an S corp. It was 0.2% for someone making a hundred grand uh, as an S corp. It's, it's what 1.6% if you're a sole proprietor, according to the last year's data. And they lose their audits a ridiculous amount of the time. It's actually about 94% of the time they, the, the sole proprietors lose their audit because they do not get the same preferential tax treatment as businesses do as an organized business, as a corporation under the tax code. If somebody wants to go to loggerheads with me, I, I welcome it any day because facts are facts. They don't care about my feelings, your feelings, or anybody's feelings. They are what they are. You get audited more, you lose about 70% of the businesses out there are still operating as sole proprietors. The IRS knows it. They target, they win. It's easy. They go after a corporation, different animal. You got accountable plans. You can just show any business use on a, on a deduction. You get to write the whole thing off, like your cell phone, your administrative office in your house. You don't, you don't have depreciation recapture, all these nasty things you always hear about. You, you get so many more benefits just by simply saying, hey, you know what? I'm going to make myself into a business so the IRS knows what I am. Everybody else knows what I am. If I am a business and it says Inc. at the end of my name or LLC at the end of my name, everybody knows what they're dealing with when they're dealing with you. When you don't, then the IRS never really knows whether you're individually acting or as a business and you have to prove that you're acting as a business and that's where everybody falls short. Give me the stat one more time on so people that don't have an LLC or an S corp or C corp, which we both would say they shouldn't have unless they were going public or something. So what percentage of them get audited versus the corporations? Yeah, this is crazy. So you could actually go look up the rule. It, the, the last year the IRS published the, the, the minutia data, it was, it was table 17B of publication 55. It's the IRS data book that they put out every year. They didn't have it for, for 2020 for the tax year 2021, since we're in tax year 2022 right now. Hopefully they bring it back. But when you look at an individual with an S with a uh, Schedule C, which is the sole proprietorship, if they're making right around the $100,000 mark, I think it was 1.4, a little bit above that was 1.6%. When you look at all of the S corps out there, it was 0.2%. That's the audit rate. In other words, they audit seldomly do they audit the S-Corp and we know why they audit S-Corps. Almost all the audits for S-Corps are because you're taking distributions and not paying a small salary. Yeah. So all we do is we say, hey, you know what? You never want to get audited. Don't look like that. Yeah. Yeah. Have an S-Corp, have an LLC, pay yourself a salary, pay some taxes, which it's so funny. Like Manny, who, you know, has been my guy for my goodness, 25 years. That was the first thing. Okay. New business S corp plus an LLC. You're going to pay yourself a salary. I'm like, I'm not even making any money yet. He's like, you got to pay yourself something, right? That's how you just, so, so automatically by doing this, they're going to save a percentage of that 15.3. So if they just, if they were just saying, I don't know if I, you know, it's, it's complicated. I got to find somebody and get an LLC. And I heard that costs money the money that they're going to save automatically, whether it went from 15 to 10, right? It's five grand in savings, just like that. In the tax that, that's form. That's how I'm hearing it. If I put a Schedule C, which is what you'd file as a sole proprietor, and you'd attach yep. that to your, 10, your, your 1040, and I put it side by side with an 1120S, which is the tax form you file for a corporation, I've done this over and over again. Most people think the Schedule C is more difficult. Yeah. yeah. But it's not... It's not apples and oranges. They're, they're pretty much identical. You're reporting your income and your expenses in a balance sheet. Yes. And it's really easy. It's in, by the way, the IRS doesn't distinguish between them 
for books and records. They say the formalities are the exact same because that's another one I hear all the time. Well, my accountant said the formalities in a corporation are higher. It's like, no, it's not. It's identical. It's books and records. You have to maintain your income and your expenses. And if you're doing that, it doesn't matter whether you're a partnership, an S-Corp, a C-Corp, a nonprofit, a sole proprietorship or whatever, you have to keep track of those things, period. It doesn't matter. It doesn't say here's the standard if it's an S-Corp and here's the standard if it's not. Yeah. Now, from a tax standpoint, once you're an S-Corp, you just have to take a reasonable salary and the profit is no longer subject to self-employment tax. Bingo. If you are a sole proprietor, you cannot take a salary and 100% of your profits are subject to self-employment tax. That's the distinction. I take a small salary, I eliminate what ends up being 15.3% on whatever amount I made as extra money. And it's a sizable amount of money on an annual basis for somebody who's running a mid-sized business, uh, a reasonable uh, agent. And I don't know what the average agent in your group is, but I know what the average is uh, nationwide. It's going to save the average agent. Yeah. We're like 14 times higher than that. We, we, we are at say 10. We just think 14 is just going to have people go what? Right. But you know, you pay, we, we track and measure. So I, Toby, I got to stop for a second for my friend listening right now. I'm thinking you might want to save this wherever you are. And the next time you're calling your uncle Larry, who does your taxes, you're going to send Toby's interview with me to your Uncle Larry and say, listen to this or whoever the guy or gal or professional person you work with and just say, hey, I just want to make sure I'm doing everything that this guy's talking about. Toby, that's like when I go sit with the wealthiest, I'm so blessed, right? Like I've curated over, you know, three decades, some, some pretty remarkable people that are willing to share with me. And literally I'm like, this is how, this is how most of our meetings go. Hey, so what have you learned since I spoke with you last? And what do you recommend? And I'm taking notes and then I just sent it right to Manny. Manny, Toby says we should do this. Are we doing this? I, so for my friend listening, listen, take notes. He talks fast. He's got a lot of information. We only got a short amount of time on this show, but just think, who am I going to send this to, to say, please cross check that we're doing everything. Does that make sense? hundred percent minimize the tax, maximize your retirement benefits. Cause Hey, if I have to take a salary, I may as well get a tax deduction for it. Exactly. Jam it all into a 401k, or if you're making 10 times what the normal agent makes, you're going to be doing a defined benefit plan. And you probably scratch your head going, what the hell is that? Talk defined about benefit that. Plan. Yeah, this is it. Most of the time for the re- for, for regular fee people, they say, here's how much you can contribute. Mm-hmm. Hey, I'm going to do an IRA. You can contribute $6,500. If you've got some gray hairs, you can do 7,500. Or if you're doing a 401k, here's how much you can put in a year. That's great for the regular folks. But if you're a high earner, you need to turn it on its head and say, I am making $200,000 a year, $300,000 a year. How do I make that when I retire? And they let you reverse engineer your numbers so that you contribute enough money so that you can take that out of your retirement plan. And if you think that's crazy, it is right around 300,000 is the max benefit, which means I need to save four or 5 million bucks. I'm going to need to save that. And how many years do I have? I might have 10 years to do it. Okay. Now you're starting to see, I got 10 years to save 5 million. I'm going to be putting in a half million dollars a year. It's not quite that clean. You get an actuary to actually run the numbers, but it's pretty darn close. And you're going to be putting a lot of money tax deferred. You'll pay tax on it eventually, but many, many years from now, after it's continued to grow. And if you're smart and you're in real estate, you're investing that in real estate. A lot of you guys say, you can't do that. You could, you have to put it in a mutual fund. No, that's, that's set, if you set, have. Said the guy trying to sell you mutual funds. 
<laughs> hey, if I am a brokerage house and I say, hey, you can open up a, a wonderful IRA with us, I'm going to tell you what you can invest in and it's going to be something I'm selling. Yeah. If you set up your own, you can decide to invest in whatever you want. Yeah, you could absolutely do real estate projects in it. Everybody's like, eh, maybe I do, maybe I don't. But whatever the case, it's deferred income and it's going to grow tax-free. And if you just give yourself an extra 10, 20 years to let something cook, you'll be shocked at how much more money you have because everything grows exponentially if it's not taxed. So I've, I'll just like point counterpoint. I talked to a lot of friends that, you know, we, in the early days of our lives, right. When our, I've got a 24 and 22 year old, like I was told you need to get a 529 B plan in order to put them into college, you know, tax deferred or tax free savings to put your kids in college. And I'm like, I just said, okay. And then I've got other friends that say, yeah, I got that same pitch. You know what I did? I bought them a duplex in Costa Mesa, California, the day after they were born. And for, you know, 300,000, it's now worth a million seven and it spits off this much cash flow. Is there a right or wrong way? I mean, could real estate just be for some, the solution towards retirement and, and versus trying to think about the market and all these other, you know, ways to save and tax-free, et cetera. I, I tend to be a stock market guy and a real estate guy. Like if you look at it, the top 10% own 90% of the value in the stock market. That's what rich yeah. people invest in, but it's the same thing with real estate, Yeah. right? Yeah. So I tend to look at real estate. The stock market's neat, but if you want the tax benefits, it's not even close. Real estate kicks, exactly. you, it kicks you right in the honey because you can have the income. So let's talk about your, your situation. Somebody's putting away after-tax dollars into a 529 plan. It's growing. They're going to use it for for to cover for school, congratulations, slow clap. What's the tax benefit you got? It's the growth. You didn't have to pay a lot of tax on it. Congratulations. Now your friend in Costa Mesa buys the $300,000 unit. It's now worth 1.2. You borrow the money, you pay for college. You're getting a de deduction every day because you have depreciation. Every time you put a new roof on it, you're redepreciating it. Right. If you want to, you take that duplex that's now worth 1.2 and you sell it and you exchange it under a 1031 exchange into five other properties, which right. then grow. And then all you have to do, Tom, is this magic thing called you have to die. And eventually you die and the basis steps up of that properties. Now you have five properties that are worth God knows how much, let's say they're worth a couple million and your beneficiaries get to re-depreciate it. They get to write it off all over again and you never had to pay tax on any of the loans. That's what the rich do. They call it buy, borrow, die. And you see it, people throw it out there with disdain. Eh, that's what the rich do. They buy, they buy real estate and they borrow against it. They buy stock and they borrow against it too. The whole trick is if you never want to pay capital gains on something, if you never want to pay tax on it, don't sell it. Right. You know, I've never seen somebody say buy, borrow and die with a smile on their face <laughs> as a, as a strategy <laughs> for creating wealth. It's that last one that kind of throws people. But that right. is, I mean, I think about, um, I, Toby, one day, one day you have to meet my stepmom, Pooh. I, I refer to her as, as my mom. You know, she's with me since I was six years old. Um, she's never had a job. Uh, all she does is buy real estate. She is 70. She's going to be pissed that I'm saying this. She's 78 years old. And literally, I, I don't know how many hundreds of doors and units and everything else that she owns, but it's a lot. And she says, Thomas, if you want to, to make a lot of money, and you want to like become wealthy, the only answer is buy more real estate. Now I'm with you. I'm a little more diversified in my approach, but like all she does is real estate. And she says, and I think for the most part, I don't really ever pay taxes because I don't really have any money. The, the, the rule in the counting is if you're paying taxes, it's because you don't own enough real estate. 
if you're a real estate investor, like everybody that works with you is a real estate professional. Yes. They're spending more than 750 hours, more than 50, 50, 50% of their time in the real estate world as an agent, as a broker or whatnot, right? So it, maybe they're doing construction development. Uh, the, the mortgage folks yeah. don't count, but nope. everybody else, which means there's no such thing as passive losses from real estate. So if you want to eliminate taxes, what you do is you go buy a piece of real estate. You do something called a cost seg on it, which means you accelerate the depreciation on the real estate, the little box that's on the land. You write off about a third of it in the first year and it wipes out all your income and you don't pay any tax. And then your accountant says, well, that's passive. And you're going to say, no, actually, there's this little exception. It's called 469C7. If you want to get technical, I love code provisions, but you actually can point to them. This is right here. It says real estate professional. That rental activity is now ordinary. And do I materially participate in my real estate? Yes, I'm managing my own properties or I'm involved in them. Yay. Yep. Uh, I get to write it off as an ordinary loss. So you don't pay tax. So when I see realtors and I see people involved in real estate and they're not buying their product they're selling, I'm like, Oof, you are you are voluntarily paying a lot of tax, my friend, voluntarily, because you, you know you could lever the real estate. You see the good deals. Why aren't you buying more of it? And just, you know, and, and then again, if I want to sell it, I certainly can. As long as I buy more real estate, I don't pay tax. Right. And even if right. I did pay real, even if I did pay tax, we call it a poor man's 1031 exchange. What you do is you sell it, you have capital gains, and then, but you can actually buy more real estate, create more depreciation, it offsets the capital gain. It's like, even if you're passive, it works that way. You actually have something called passive capital gains that 99% of the accountants are unaware exists. And all you have to do is create more passive loss. So even if you're not a real estate professional, even if you're just an investor like me, I'm just, I'm a lawyer. So I don't get to qualify as a real estate professional. I got 400 separate pieces of property, everything from apartment complexes to single families and everything else. And if I sell a bunch, because I get a little burr in my kutush and I'm like, hey, let's just sell some of these properties. I get a million dollars a gain. Ah, oh, crap. I immediately go out and say, I can cost seg that property and take that loss and wipe that out. Hey, it's Tom Ferry. Question, what's your favorite social media platform? Are you big on Insta? Do you love to tweet? No matter where you answer, I'd love for you to connect with me there. All you gotta do is just type in at Tom Ferry and follow and let's you and I connect. I wanna be able to deliver the right content, the right ideas, the ways to help you grow your business, stay fired up, keep moving, be in action and run plays that work and the platform that matters most to you. So subscribe and I'll see you there soon. So do you not automatically like we, so my partners and I have bought about 700 units in the last 12 months. And then, you know, my wife and I have, you know, we do our own separate stuff and, and every one of the units that we buy, it's the first it's, it's, Hey, let's, can we put solar on this? And essentially, you know, give the, you know, give them 20% down and leverage the balance of the 80% of the cost of the solar to get a 25% write off automatically on that money. And then the next move is to cost seg every time cost segregation study. If you're wondering what we're saying, cost segregation study, don't you just do that automatically every time you made it sound like you don't always do that. You don't always do it unless you're a real estate professional. And then you don't always do it if it's going to create too much loss. So for example, yeah, for me, I just don't want to pay tax on any of my rental income. Yeah. It's still passive to me. Yeah. So, so if I have too much loss, I just carry it forward and it wipes out future revenue. It's not really doing anything for me. So sometimes I do like this year, we, we sold some real estate because the market was so flipping stinking hot. 
So we, 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 you know, I, I don't generally sell, but I was like, eh, let's just sell some. But I also knew we had an apartment building it's you know, 140 unit. And I was like, I know it's going to give me a million dollars of loss. It was 1.7 when we did the cost sake, $1.7 million of passive loss. I'm not paying tax on any of that anyway. So I just kind of do it when I feel like it. But if you are a real estate professional, you can literally eliminate your tax. Like you could be making half a million dollars as a real estate agent and not pay any tax on it just because you bought real estate and cost segging is what you're supposed to do. The impermissible method is to write it off over 27 and a half years or 39 years if it's non-residential. It's just crazy. This is this is something. So my partner uh, Eric Eikoff, big shout out to Eric. He has been helping people invest in real estate. He's been a real estate broker, young guy, like you know, sub like thirty seven, like young guy, but owns twelve hundred units. All he does is say, "Look, you've got to buy one property a year. If you do it and you cost seg it, you're either going to eliminate the taxes you have from your residential real estate business income." So you're you're saying the same thing that a lot of my listeners have heard a few times. Sometimes, Toby, we need to hear it nine times before we go, he's talking to me. So hopefully, my friend, you're getting this. So so I feel like you answered kind of going into the second question, which is like, what are the real estate investors doing? Cost segs and all of this. Let, let's go to that question, which I love. Like, what are, the, what are the wealthiest people doing right now to save more money? What are they doing to eliminate taxes? They're, they're taking advantage of the opportunities right now. We're about 700 uh, or 7 million units behind in the country. Yeah. And they just raised a bunch of interest rates to make it even less affordable for people. And the builders stopped building. And I just want to just kind of give you guys an idea. They thought, when I say they, the economists, thought we needed to build 1.2 million units every year to keep up with population growth and, and units going out of commission, you know, old houses falling down. Right. It was 1.7 million. They were yeah. half a million off per year for the last five years. Yep. So I just saw that thought, same study. I just saw I, that study. Yeah. It's bonkers. When you right. like the, the Harvard uh, Joint Center for Housing does a really good uh, report every year where they're breaking down like, why is, why is it so unaffordable? Right. Well, supply and demand. Yeah. So there's a ton of, there's a ton of demand. There's not enough supply. And guess what? Interest rates just went up. You know, who's having a field day right now? People with cash, yep. people that don't have to borrow money. They're yep. like, this is the greatest thing ever. I'm not, there's no competitors. So what are the rich doing right now? They are buying up multifamily. They're stealing them if they can. They're buying single families. They're doing uh, right now. I think that self-storage is huge. I think that manufactured housing is huge. I just did a, uh, a park where we had 29 units. The cost of the land and the unit was less than $100,000 a piece. People need a place to live. Always. Those are the little cash machines. Always. Every one of those is just a little cash machine. And th those will rent for 1500 bucks a month. Easy. It's just ka-ching, 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 ka-ching. So I got a bunch of sort of backup questions on that. The first question I know my, my listeners probably saying, okay, well, how, how do I find these deals? Like, how do you, how do you, like, how do you, do you work with a bunch of brokers all over the country? You know, are they all in Vegas? Like I buy a lot in Texas, but I got, you know, properties kind of a little scattered around California, Texas, et cetera. How do they find these deals? Well, we actually source them. So uh, we have something called infinity investing, our little, a little side project. If you want to learn how to invest, that's, I built that years ago. I wrote a book about it and all that fun yep. stuff. Cause I just don't believe that most of the people out there talking about investing actually make money investing. I think they make money selling a course. Yeah. I think they're, I, I do their taxes and I think they're liars. <laughs> a lot of them, like a lot of the gurus, 
I, hey, I, I appreciate you saying that because I've seen the same thing and then I've, you know, proudly I'm, I'm on the other side of that camp, but you know, we know, we know some people that, yeah, they're good at selling courses. So, so, so sourcing deals like, so for my listener, I'll give you an example. So, um, the 700 units we bought down in Houston, Houston area proper, um, you know, we start building relationships with brokers right? Like that's where it all starts. Like how many commercial real estate brokers? And like, if you go to like CBRE as an example, most JLL, they all have a division of specific brokers that work specific types of units. Like here's the, here's the gal who crushes the 10 to 20 unit space. Here's the gal that crushes the 50 to hundred. If you get it above hundred, Toby, you see the same thing, 200, 250, 300. Now you're talking about funds right. That are coming in and, and like conglomerates that are buying this stuff. I found syndication. Yeah. you're going to be a syndication. Well, in, in the big, big ones, but I found like kind of 150. I mean, we have one that's 191 units, but like, you know, 200 and below is, is almost more like regular mom and pop investors. Right. And yes, yeah, some syndications, right. No doubt. But like my, our strategy is meet brokers, do one deal with them prove that we can get the deal done and that we're, you know, we're, we're good, solid buyers. And then it just feels like referrals, 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 referrals. And then we've also found the, the companies that we have that are managing the properties for us, right? Because we take care of them and they take care of us. We're like, Hey, who else do you guys know that, you know, like, are there any other buildings that are like, Oh, as a matter of fact. So every one of our deals has been off market. Yep. What other tactics so do you recommend? Well, the, what you just said is exactly what you should be doing. You're not going to, if it's listed, chances are it's not the greatest deal yet. Yeah, you want to get right. it before it gets. So what we do is we're, if you ever got one of those annoying texts that says, Hey, I saw you have a, that's probably maybe us. <laughs> we prop stream <laughs> a bunch of others, but we said, yeah, we do everything from phone calls, emails. Like we're yep. looking for people yep. that are thinking of maybe selling and then we'll work with anybody. We, we don't, we'll do sub twos, we'll do tax liens, we'll do yeah. tax deeds, we'll do whatever we can to find properties. Uh, and it's just very seldom do you find a great deal directly off the MLS. I just, I agree. you know, for, 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 for an investor. Now, that said, if you want a turnkey property and you're just, you just want something that's not gonna be a lot of fuss or you're gonna do an Airbnb or you're gonna do something where it needs to be a little bit nicer, then by all means, you should be working with an agent because right. they're going to find you the deals. Once once you say, here's the numbers I'm looking for uh, or shared housing, hey, find me something with six units you know, or six rooms. Yeah. I don't need it to be a duplex or a triplex or whatever. I can actually just, just find me a big house. And uh, you might be shocked at how much revenue you can actually generate off of uh, anything from a recovery housing, a residential assisted living, to uh, just doing shared housing, just knock them down and uh, you using like a pad split, you might be shocked at how much you can actually generate off of a single property. I agree. I think the the big key for my friend listening right now is, is maybe just a couple of questions. One, talking directly to my listener, how much time do you spend looking at, for example, the MLS hitting the button remind that gives you the ability to data mine or whatever solution your MLS has to say, Show me every duplex, every triplex, every fourplex, every eightplex in my area. And hey, who are the owners? Because it would, you know, Toby, it'll it'll aggregate that list for you. And now you have a new potential pool of opportunities to prospect to. The other one I always look for is show me how many people, and it's sometimes it's not people, it's an LLC or you know, some some corporate entity that owns more than three doors in my area. 
uh, more than three under 10. And now what you find is the mom and pop investors. And then when you do a little research on them, you realize, huh, they've owned those seven properties in, you know, Ding Dingville, wherever, and they've owned them for 42 years. There are opportunities everywhere, but it does require like, like that focus and concentration and search. And whether it's for you, my listener, or you're doing it with an investor and you take your five or six or three or whatever your percent commission and say, I'll find the deal, but I want to roll it in. There's all kinds of ways we can do this. So what, what else should they be doing on source? And then I want to know, besides having cash and buying more real estate, what are the wealthiest people doing? Yeah. So, I mean, I just, uh, I'll answer that for the, the, the first thing. What you just described is exactly what you have to be doing. Here's the deal. An investor like me is not going to do any of that. I'm going to have other people do it. Yep. Uh, investor like you is probably the same thing. You're probably not sitting there every now and again, I'll go, you know, in search of, and I'll go yeah. do, doing some digging, but it's not the best use of my time. So I tend to look at, I use wholesalers. I know that your agents yeah. are like, Oh, yeah. wholesaler. No, no, no. no. I'm yeah. happy to find a bird dog. If they're going around talking to people yes. and some of the deals, what you just described, is finding somebody who's got a bunch of the properties. I've bought probably 200 properties in the last five years from people that, that you just described. Yep. And what we'll do is a lot of times they don't want to sell because they're afraid of the tax. Yep. So we'll do an installment sale with the, with the, with the guaranteed yield. In other words, we'll say, Hey, I'll buy it from you at 6%. And we will, you know, and you get yield service, you get the interest, whether we pay it off early or not. Right. So that there's no incentive. It's the prepayment penalty essentially but you're stretching it out and you might say, Hey, I'll pay you over 10 years so that they have an income stream. Cause a lot of times what they're looking at is they got a bunch of properties. They're long in the tooth. They don't want to dump a bunch of money into them. Yeah. They like the cash flow. And if you can figure out that number and go to them and say, I'll buy your 20 properties. Here's the amount here. I'll give you this income and they feel comfortable. They'll do it. Uh, quite often they're just looking at going into, you know, they're 70, 80 years old and they're just, they just want to enjoy life. It's so interesting. So, so I know from my friend listening, there was a lot to unpack in there. The one thing I want to point out is it, it always comes down to relationships. It always comes down to relationships. I was thinking about the, a nineplex my wife bought. She got to know the seller off market deal, right? Bird dog found it for us. Big shout out to Janelle. Thank you. Right. Kathy goes to meet with the guy and he's like, you know, I like you. And that was it. We got it for a lesser price with great terms. We have one tenant that, you know, maybe in a traditional deal we wouldn't have taken, but it was like his guy who also takes care of the building. So we're like, okay. And it was only because of their connection and bond. And now he's calling us and saying, I have some other doors. Do you guys want those too? Right? Like just cause we were, we were good. We were nice to it. Like we were just being us, right? Like relationships matter, whether it's the broker, the bird dog, it doesn't matter always relationships first. All right. Tom, so 100%. And I think that everybody who is in this space that actually spends decades in it and accumulates property is going to say right. the exact same thing. 1, you either find people who are awesome people yep. and, and you treat them like gold. Like I've, I've paid a wholesaler on one property, 70 grand before and people are like, Oh, it's, you know, it's not worth it. If they hit my numbers and I give them a shopping list, I'll right. tell you what real life so in Winston-Salem, which I've been investing there for um, close to a decade, and it's just been bonkers, right? That That's just a great rental market. So I worked, I love working with nonprofits. I love working with people that do transitional housing or kind of that the one-off. 
they'll go out and they'll say, Toby, I need 20 units. And I'll be like, okay, what kind of folks it needs to like, they, they might be, Hey, they're, they're sick. Like, let's say they have their, their AIDS positive or something like that. They might need a one bedroom, one bath. Nobody's selling one bedroom, one bath. Right. Yeah. Well, guess what? If you're going out and you're looking at as an order form and you're saying, can you find me 20 one bedroom, one bath units? You'd be shocked at what somebody can find out there for you. And right. they bring them to you and you're like, how long can I do a five-year lease with the organization? Yeah, we just need that. We, you know, the Department of Corrections need this or United Way needs this or whatever, the, whatever their order is. This is where they want to put people. And some people are already thinking like, oh, that's not big enough for me. You know, those aren't the there is such a huge need for that type of housing. And you can go out and just, you're basically taking an order and yep. you're filling up your houses by taking orders. And I have clients that do that all over the country. You mentioned Texas. I have a bunch of uh, Houston properties that we bought. Uh, I know it's just going on five years. Uh, that that market gone. Uh, right. Oklahoma. We do a lot in North Carolina. We do yep. a lot in Indianapolis still. Um, we love those marketplaces, uh, uh, Idaho's every now and again, it's, it's, that's an interesting market too. I agree. I just love, I just love buying real estate. We got a bunch in Vegas, Vegas. That was after the, uh, the crash, you know, the great recession. You could, yes. you could buy great deals all over the place. It was like, it was raining deals The you know, I was flipping houses. I thought I was a genius and it was the stupidest thing I ever did was to sell those properties because now they're worth three times as much and generating exactly. all this cash flow. But I, I still have a few, but uh, uh, you just, you, you got to walk into a few poles and uh, bang your head a couple of times before it sinks in. And you're like, you know what? I, if I do it the easy way, it's so much better. If I buy things with the intent to hold on to them for a long period of time and I'm not trying to make a quick buck and I'm going to have long-term relationships and I see somebody and I say, this person could, they could source a hundred homes for me. I'm going to treat them like gold. Yeah. Buy, borrow, die. <laughs> Buy, borrow. I, I might get that tattooed on my arm. All right. So I think you answered the question, what are you investing in? But I'm going to, I'm going to just throw one last question at you. This has been super valuable. Toby, by the way, if somebody wants to reach out to you guys, you know, you, I've referred you, I don't know, I hope a couple hundred clients. Cause I'm always saying, you know, to people that I meet, they're like, uh, I, this was a classic. Like you got to You got to reach one that went like this. Uh, I haven't paid my taxes since 2021. And I'm like, what? <laughs> what? Like, <laughs> call these guys, right? Like, do not have that happen, right? Under any circumstances. So I, I'm not, I'm not laughing at the situation, but like, I don't like hearing that from a friend of mine or a client of mine, right? So, so if they want to reach out, what's the best way for them to, to reach you guys? Uh, I'm sure that we have a link. The other thing is just to go, just type in Toby Mathis and go to the YouTube. Yeah. Yes. But I, but we, we like to know it's from you, Tom, because we know your clientele and we know the yes. people that work with you. They're awesome folks. And immediately we say, gosh, we know exactly who this is. So we'll, yes. I, I'm, I'm certain that we'll give you a link awesome. that somebody can go through and know exactly where they came from. Awesome. Awesome. So uh, thinking about my last question, the, the reason, so for my friend watching right now or listening, what prompted this was I'm on YouTube and I'm typing in like financial this and I'm, I'm, I'm trying to find out like, you know, like de-dollarization of the US, you know, like I'm, I'm, I'm looking for that stuff and whose ad do I keep seeing over and over again? Your ad. So just from a marketing standpoint, for my friend listening, how are your YouTube ads performing? What got you prompted to do it? And would you recommend it for a real estate professional? Yeah, absolutely. So the, the, the answer is we do it. We do most of our advertising is, is, is YouTube. Yeah. Uh, we just find it's the biggest bang for your buck and you get the right type of people because you can get granular. 
and yeah. people raise their hands. You know, they're Bingo. saying, "Hey, I actually like this." Uh, we have a really good subscriber base, so most of it's unpaid. It's actually pretty fun. We still throw the the ads out there, but uh, what I would say to any agent is uh, that there's a this old term that niches make riches, right? Niches make riches. I guess doesn't yes. really work. So you got to say yes. niches make riches. You got to find what you're good at, and then give away the information. And it seems counterproductive because everybody wants to get paid. It's yep. reaping and sowing, my friend, and you plant the seeds and it might be two or three seasons before it actually starts to to sprout. You just have to be patient and in all things investing. Time is your friend. And, uh, you know, right now we're in a crazy stock market, right? You, you, right. And you ask, like, what do people invest in? I still have a lot of clients that love the market. I do myself. I buy dividend stocks and I treat it like real estate. Yeah. I wouldn't buy a rental property and leave it vacant. And I wouldn't buy a stock and leave it uncovered with a covered call. I just always put it and I want to make sure that I'm generating revenue off it. Uh, but it's like all things. It's not necessarily timing the market. It's time in the market. So if you can just get yourself and say, here's how much I use 70, 30 rule, I live off of 70% and invest 30%, pay off debt, do your giving everything out of that 30%. But if all you're doing is putting that into investments, you're going to be successful over a long period of time. Just be patient. Yeah, I agree. Well said. Well said. I think of all the all the wealthiest men and women I've ever met, they all say, play the long game. Play the long game. Play the long game. Toby, this is super valuable. I do want to ask you one more question, even though do you have a minute. Are you okay? Of course. I know our schedules are nuts. All right. So I'll probably be late for my session, but I'm going to ask anyway. The ad that I saw was about asset protection. Mm-hmm. Talk to me. What are, the, what are the two or three things they need to be thinking about? Like the, the commercial literally had me like, hey, Manny, like, am I doing everything right? Like if I ever get sued or something goes wrong, like, are they going to come after all my, you know, you know what I mean? Like, like that was the, the fear that I got from the ad is actually what prompted me to like, I got to reach out to my team and just make sure I'm covered. What did you, you mean by be. asset protection? And what's one or two things that my, my listeners should be thinking about? Yeah, r- right now you should be scared. Whenever we go into a recession or whenever we have a crazy market, people look for someone that they can take things from. You see yep. an uptick in discrimination lawsuits or employment lawsuits. You see yep. tenants suing their landlords more. You see all that. And what you want to do is, so here's an easy adage. It's not what you make, it's what you keep. From yep. a tax standpoint, it's really easy because you can see dollars and cents and, it, and you have to face it once a year. But it's also true in asset protection. And in asset protection, what you're trying to do is remove the large target on your back. If somebody mm-hmm. can see that you own 10 houses, they're coming after you. And I'll, I'll give you a real life situation that'll that'll trip you out. But I'll just leave it at this. If you can obscure your ownership and make it to where people can't see what you own, the chances of you getting sued go down dramatically. If you leave yourself completely exposed, you're the deep pocket that they tend to go after. And so I'll give you real life, California, massive lawsuit. Uh, I won't give you too close to the facts because you'd be able to go look it up. But there was two owners, son, father. Son was our client, was not worth what the, you know, was uh, actually, he was worth more than the dad, but the dad was still very successful. Dad did things old school with his CPA, which means he didn't even like those things called LLCs, right? I remember 25 years ago, arguing with an accountant about a commercial building. And they said, you don't need to put it in LLC, just get umbrella insurance. And I said, fantastic. Put that in writing, please. And say that you'll pay for the excess exposure if somebody sues. I'd, I'd love to see you put your your signature on that. What he was like, well, 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 I'm not going to be liable for. And I was like, then why are you giving that advice? Put an LLC around it so that it, the liability 
on a commercial property doesn't follow you around for the rest of your life. So in this particular case, it was two people were severely injured on a piece of property, not because of the landlords, not because of the property owners. They had leased it, but they had used the the people they had leased to hired a third party vendor that did a valet service. And there was a massive, there was a, a serious injury. So they go to sue everybody. Valet doesn't have money. They sue the, the, the landowners, which is this, this, this father and the son. The son worked with us. They could not see anything he owed. $25,000 settlement. Boom. Dad gets drugged through for five years going through this multi-million dollar suit. Ends up out of pockets. Strong seven figures. He was okay because he had substantial assets. But the whole time he's like, why aren't they doing it against my kid? And the punchline was that the kid had more money. Now, they were in a position where they could they could cover it, but there was unlimited exposure. And they were going to say, well, what about the insurance? The insurance found a way out because it was a third-party vendor that was hired. And they, and a lot of times, they'll just tender lower limits and leave you to, to, to defend yourself. It's the attorney's fees. It's the cost. It's the constant drag. But it's easy to fix. And in real estate, there's no reason to have your name associated with the property. I can take anybody, whether it's your personal residence or whether it's commercial and get your name off it. Cause people don't need to know that Tom Ferry has this many properties. Right. Period. And that's usually what generates the lawsuit. Cause a lawyer is going to look at it and say, here's the claim. Here's what it's worth. What are my chances of collecting? And if the chances of collecting are hundred percent, it's way more valuable a lawsuit and they'll shake you down. If they don't see anything or if they see a series of LLCs where there's minimal uh, there's minimal asset base, then they're going to be like, oh, that's not the one we want to roll the dice on, settle that one. Smart, smart. This was so valuable. And of course, now you know what I'm, I'm thinking? Oh, God, do I have a property in my name? <laughs> Is my primary residence in my name? I'm like, all right, switch. Edit I, all of this. Call Manny. Quick, get it done. All right, Toby, as always, man, this was so valuable. There were so many insights here. For my friend listening, uh, remember, you can just forward this to someone and say, hey, make sure I'm doing this right. If you need help, Toby and his team are amazing. As you heard me say, I've, I've referred them a lot of clients that just are like you. They're just high-powered and maybe just didn't have the insight, didn't have the knowledge, needed an advisor. And I jokingly, like I had a t-shirt made for a while, right? That literally said, stop hiring uncle Larry to do your taxes. Right. Just cause you know, cause he was good with a calculator. Like don't, don't do that. Like hire a professional. Like I got Hector over here dying laughing. Right. So Hector don't hire uncle Larry to do your taxes ever hire a pro. All right. Uncle Larry does a little bit too much of this. Yeah, it's, it's not good. Not good with your taxes. We shouldn't be laughing and talking taxes, but yes. All right. So Toby, thank you so much. I appreciate you always. Uh, hopefully I'll see you at the summit, you know, or somebody from your team. So until then, my friend, all the best. Peace to you. All the best. For my friend that's listening, I'd love a comment. I'd love a, you know, a share get this information into the hands of everybody. Everybody that you know inside your office needs to hear this ASAP. Thank you guys so much. Take care. If you want more information about this episode, including my show notes, mentions, links, and everything else, make sure you visit tomferry.com slash podcast. That's tomferry.com slash podcast. Thanks again and talk to you soon.